Welcome to the official It's All Dead podcast. The music is dead. Long live the music. Welcome to the official It's All Dead podcast. Uh, this is our final podcast of 2014, and uh, my name is Kyle Hawk. I'm editor-in-chief at It's All Dead. I'm here with uh, senior editor Kyle Schultz. Kyle, welcome. Hey, Hello, uh, sir. As always, Kyle is uh, calling in, uh, figuratively speaking, all the way from Chicago. And uh, for this uh, last podcast of the year, we kind of wanted to wrap up the year by talking about some of our favorite albums, favorite songs, favorite things of uh, 2014, and there was a lot of really great stuff. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking about that. And, you know, we did one of these last year, but I feel like this year um, there was even more great things. And I think at one point uh, we and I had – you and I had been uh, emailing back and forth and uh, you were – we would, had been talking throughout the year. We did these articles for like, you know, remembering albums that came out in 2004. And there were a lot of like really great groundbreaking albums. And you had mentioned in this email thread we had how – uh, you thought maybe this year was even better than 2004, which I thought was a shocking statement. Um, but there have been a lot of great albums that came out this year and a lot of really cool stuff that happened this year. Yeah, there's – um. well, the thing is a lot of the bands we were covering for the 10-year anniversary tours, a lot of them are actually still in action. And it's kind of a weird thing where uh, even at this point they're still putting out albums and they're still really good. And if nothing else, they've just been growing uh, – stylistically and everything so it, I don't know I have a weird connection with it where there's a lot of music that looking back on it was uh, my eternal soundtrack when I was in high school at this point 10 years ago and uh, even today a lot of those bands are still on my concert rotation just with uh, their new albums and everything like that like they're not stuck in that past like a lot of bands uh, end up as yeah, absolutely. And I think when uh, we look, when I look back at our year-end list, I mean, there's, you know, I'm trying to even think if there's any newcomers at all that were on, like, especially our albums list, there were a lot of, there was one, uh, but a lot of these folks have been around for a while, a lot of these bands have. And uh, before we dive into this conversation, actually, I, I just want to thank everybody that's listening. Uh, if you were one of the people that viewed our year-end list and shared our year-end list, like, we just want to thank you for uh, coming to the site and uh, valuing our opinion and enough to to share it and uh, care what we think. Uh, we got incredible response from these year-end lists. So um, if you're listening, you're one of the people that checked it out. Thanks for doing that. And um, now we're going to talk about it a little bit. And I just wanted to start off by talking about some of our favorite albums of the year. Um, we actually, uh, last year was a little more clear cut because you and I agreed on number one and number two uh, that they mm -hmm. would fall in those places. This year, uh, the the our top two albums one of which one was an album i was really into one was an album you were really into and i mean i listened to the album that you picked as as your top but it wasn't like one that i i, li I think i listened to it one time um so mm -hmm. we had a really interesting conversation to kind of hash that out but uh the album that we ended up putting at number one was the one i said because uh you know my opinion is better than yours um <laughs> but, <laughs> it was architects lost forever lost together uh, it was a metalcore album but uh I gave it five out of five when I reviewed it uh, back in January on the site, uh, which was uh, the best review I've, I've personally ever given in over a decade. I've never given an album a perfect score. Um, and that one uh, merited that uh, that uh, score from me. Um, I just thought they, they really perfected just anything I could ever ask from a band. And, and Architects was a band that I kind of casually listened to, but they, they just absolutely annihilated me with this album. Uh, 
both content wise and just the structure and execution of uh, you know the band is a metalcore band and you wouldn't expect um, something like that in this day and age to be something that as groundbreaking as this album was, but it literally shattered any, I guess, preconceived notions I had about what this genre had left in it, which was a huge part of what uh, made it the top album of the year for me. Did, did you actually listen to this album this year? I, I did not actually, I forgot about it after it came out. I never got a chance to, uh, listen to it. And then when you put it back on the list, I was like, Oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, if you're listening and you haven't listened to this album, you really need to check it out. Uh, just so I'm not crazy, this album has showed up on several end of the year li- lists. I saw a uh, thing yesterday, Kerrang ranked it as their top album of the year. So I mean, it definitely got a lot of recognition and deservedly so. The the band is uh, incredible, and the album is just uh, it just blew my mind. So um, props to Architects for crafting uh, Lost Forever lost together um and that leads us into what uh, came in at number two which is the album that uh, you ranked as your favorite of the year and it was uh, aaron west and the roaring 20s so tell us a little bit about why you uh, gave it the placement that you did oh i'm gonna say up front part of it might just be the fact i give a little extra credence to uh, anything the wonder years do i'm in love with them but yeah. the thing for me was aaron west kind of came out of nowhere as the side project for uh dan campbell the lead singer and up to that point, I didn't really know his musical abilities outside of just lyricism for the Wonder Years. And uh, when this album came out, I listened to it. And the first time I listened to it, I was kind of let down because I don't know what I was really expecting from it, but it didn't really, it wasn't really what I wanted. And then as I listened to it more and delved deeper into the lyrics, um, I was just struck, completely struck down by how intricate the lyricism is. The entire the music itself isn't meant to impress you. It's there as the backdrop for the story that uh, Campbell weaves throughout the songs. And what's amazing about it is just how detailed the story is. Like you start off in the middle of this drama going on in uh, Aaron West's life, and you slowly see him sink deeper and deeper into depression through the various songs. And then uh, Campbell starts getting actual uh, dialogue going between characters. And just it wraps up in the end with kind of a hopeful ending. It's just amazing. Yeah. I think one of the cool things about that album, like, um, you know, it's very raw and it should be based on the content. You hear the album and it makes sense why the production and the execution of the album is so raw. But it's like we knew that like Dan Campbell was capable of like really great storytelling based on the Wonder Years and the story that he's been telling over the course of the upsides and uh, suburbia and greatest generation, but to take that in like this fictional direction, um, and tell the story the way he did, I mean, it, it kind of validates him as being maybe one of the best songwriters in this whole scene, uh, which is pretty awesome. Definitely. And like the, the music itself isn't bad. It's just, it's very stripped down. It's very basic. And on top of the lyricism, it shows his vocal range, uh, incredibly just, the variation from like the screams and kind of slow talking we know from the Wonder Years, but when he's describing things, he somehow like messes with his voice to the point where it sounds like he's actually about to cry as like all the stuff is happening to Aaron. It was just, it's way deeper than most anything else that uh, his peers have put out. Yeah, absolutely. And so there was a song from that album that ranked as our number one song of the year. Uh, Tell us a little bit about why you picked that song as the best one of the group. 
For me, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that song is kind of the linchpin for the album because it sets up where the rest of the story goes uh, for the second half of the album, and it's the first time you really see uh, the character Aaron break because it starts off with him just kind of walking down the street and he's imagining his uh, ex-wife and stuff like that, and he's kind of crying just on his way to his mom's house. And then when he's there, there's just the basic description of sitting in his mom's kitchen looking around and he's coming to terms with the fact that his dad recently passed away and he's just sitting there alone with his mom and he's trying to describe the fact that his wife Diane just left him and in the midst of it he just starts breaking down and him and his mom are just sitting in a kitchen table crying together and it's heartbreaking it's just slow and just it it's a constant build up all the way to the end and then the song starts with him basically whimpering as he's talking about walking down the street and ends with him screaming about taking the car and running. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very emotionally packed. It's, um, pretty, uh, pretty awesome, pretty huge. Um, and a, a very important part of the, the whole story that that album is telling. Um, so those are our top two albums of the year. And the int- we had another interesting thing with uh, what came next because uh, you and I both picked the, the three and four albums. And I, I had originally placed your pick uh, as the number three spot until you told me that you thought we should move number four to number three. And that album ended up being Yellow Card, Lift a Sail. And uh, I, I reviewed this album this year. Absolutely loved it. I've been singing its praises since the moment it was released as being, I mean, it's a complete departure from what you expect from Yellow Card, um, but the execution of it is absolutely incredible. Like, I I didn't know they were capable of writing this album, um, and to hear it done, like, so splendidly is just, I don't know, it just brings a joy to my heart. It's a painful album, but it's also full of hope. Um, which is really cool. What were your uh, thoughts on Lift to Sail? Because we didn't actually, I know we, we talked about it a little bit, but I didn't really get like a lot of like why you enjoyed it so much. Well, the thing about it is it's not my favorite Yellow Card album, but it's it's a weird thing because the more you listen to it, you just kind of fall in love with it. It's a, it's a heavy message going out throughout the entire uh, disc, but it's also the biggest departure and the biggest risk the band have ever taken. Like, they kind of throw away a lot of the things they've done before and almost start over completely, which is something you would expect when they had their comeback originally a few years ago. And instead, they're just building from that. And uh, it makes them a much, I don't know, heavier band. I don't think that's the word I really wanted, but uh, it really shows off kind of the versatility they've got. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really interesting point. How you, this is like the third album since the the return, and this is the one that takes the the big sonic shift, and it, it's kind of blown my mind even right now. Like this is the third album since they got back together. It feels like it just happened, but here we are. Yeah. And what's amazing is all three of those albums have been they've knocked it out of the park with all of them. Like this being like just seems incapable at this point of making a bad album. Oh yeah, definitely, and especially after coming back, uh, you know, from a hiatus, you wouldn't. You'd expect maybe a few good songs per album. Instead, they've had three just killers. Yeah. And so I I love this album because uh, of the sonic shift they took and how well they pulled it off. Um, It's very accessible. It's not pop punk at all, and it doesn't need to be. Um, A lot of people know the album was born, I guess the the idea or concept of the album was born through uh, Ryan Key, the lead singer, his fiancée breaking her neck essentially in a snowboarding accident and being paralyzed. 
Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful story of hope in the midst of this really awful situation. It's very personal, but the album is, is, uh, comes out in such a way that you can relate to it. Like everybody's been through a struggle, like everybody's been through something, uh, that required, I guess the, the emotions behind this album to get through it. And, uh, and that's what's cool is it, it's so easy to connect with, so easy to identify with what he's going through in a sense. And so the, the next album on the list is also very personal, but in the same way, it's, it's, a, it's a very important message. Um, and that was Against Me, Transgender Dysphoria Blues. And since uh, you were the one that reviewed that album this year, I'll let you uh, talk to us about that. Um, that album is probably Against Me's best one so far. I was never a big fan of their early work and kind of got in with a new wave, so I might not be the best uh, credential for that. But the thing with it is it's a dark album. Like, mm. It's on a topic that not a lot of people are really uh, into in the scene for that, and uh, just the wording and phrasing and stuff is dark, vicious, and it just bites. And it's not something that you're going to hear in most rock albums, but it also, in terms of like the music, it's kind of standard fare against me, just much better than the last few. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's an incredible album. I mean, this is one I feel like from front to back is one of the most solid of the year. Like it's just kind of, it doesn't stop. Um, it, it just, it's kind of almost pummeling you in a way and you're enjoying it along the journey if that makes any sense like it's mm -hmm. it's it's extremely powerful extremely full of emotion um and 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 you're feeling a lot of emotions like as you're listening to it as a listener like it's this weird juxtaposition um and uh it's 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 fantastic i think it's probably my favorite against me album. Um, I think for a lot of people, this was almost like kind of an introduction to against me or maybe a reintroduction. Maybe they kind of knew about them, but hadn't really investigated. And, uh, this is an album. A lot of people were talking about this year and, and for good reason. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, Laura's, uh, songwriting on this was, uh, was incredible. Um, and I had the opportunity to see them this summer and just their live performance is just amazing. Like they just, they're one of those bands that they sound just like they do on record. Like their, their live performance is so spot on. Uh, so powerful. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's, it's really awesome to see. So, um, that was against me. And at number five, this one was interesting and we haven't really talked about this. Um, but this was your pick. It's Weezer. Everything will be all right in the end. And depending again, just in true Weezer form, I guess, depending on who you talk to about this album, you're going to get, a different response. I've seen this album like rate really high on a lot of year end lists. I've seen this album be left off of like top 50 albums lists completely. I've, <laughs> I've seen it have like a really great reviews. I've seen it have people be like, Oh, Weezer sucks. You know, this is, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I just feel like this was extremely polarizing. So why, why did you think it was worthy of being a, like a top five album of the year? Well, for me, it was just kind of a return to roots for him. Like it sounds like a love child between everything Weezer's put out, like Blue, Green, Maladroit, and uh, there's like elements of the Red Album stuff. It's just a nice blending of everything. But uh, I think what's nice about it is it doesn't just throw the band into uh, some weird genre like the last four albums have or something like that. Like, you know, they went from fuzzy uh, punk rock to like dance music back to like pop music, and then this kind of brings a full circle back. It sounds a lot like a Blue Album, and it has a lot of elements that made them you know, famous in the first place. And uh, the entire thing is just, it's good music. It's good songs all the way through. And 
it brings out all their best elements and everything that they've had over like the 20 years they've been together. Um, I've, I don't know, maybe part of the reason it's polarizing is just the fact that some people didn't feel the magic that they were expecting for something that sounds like the Blue Album, or maybe they weren't happy about there was no exploration to other genre or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, this is something we've talked about before. Like, this this band has been around a while. They've put out, like you said, a, a lot of different albums with different sounds. And people have a lot of people have made up their minds about Weezer at this point, right? So if yeah. if you if you've already made up in your mind that this band's never gonna like be able to make that great album again, then this album wasn't gonna win you over in the first place. You know what I mean? Like, it, whereas mm-hmm. it's almost like the half glass, half full, half empty sort of thing. Like there are just people that are gonna be inclined to dismiss this upon its release, regardless. So I think if you go into it with an open mind um, and just listen to it as like another, the next chapter in this band's story, um, I do think it's really good. Um, so I don't know, take that for what you will, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we're not going to go through all 10 of the albums or whatever. Um, you know, you can read on the, on the site, what we said about all these, but I, I, I want to, I'm, I'm going to bring this up out of the blue and catch off guard with it. Um, okay. I was, uh, I've, one thing I compulsively make lists. I, I have to make lists of like everything in my life. It's like a problem I have. Um, but it works really well for this stuff. And I've been making, you know, top 10 lists, uh, year end lists for a long time. Um, but one thing I realized this year that I'd, I think maybe I'd kind of casually thought about, or uh, just kind of like raised my eyebrow at before, but I'd never really dug into almost without fail every single year the album I consider the best album of the year was not my favorite album of the year. And what I mean by that is architects lost forever lost together by all of the ways that I measure the way an album is like inherently good in, and that involves a lot of different things. It involves content and involves like execution of like the sound that you're trying to pull off. It involves like technical, technical aspects. It involves like, how is it, you know, in comparison to other things around it? You know, what kind of artistic vision went into it? There's a lot of different things that go into when you're deciding whether an album's good or not. But it wasn't my favorite album because it's 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 heavy in content. It's a hard album to just like put on and listen to. Like, um, it's not necessarily fun all the time. Although I did listen to it a lot. It wasn't my favorite musical experience. My favorite album of the year uh, belonged to an album called Paris, which is spelled P-V-R-I-S. They're kind of a new band that came on the scene this year. They put out an album on Rise Records called White Noise. Uh, it's very poppy, uh, full of electronics. It's extremely fun to listen to. And I, I've listened to it maybe more than any other album I listened to this year. But it, it didn't make our list, like our top 10 albums of the year, because I don't consider it good in all the ways. And I, I need an album to be good to be on a list like that. So I want to get your thoughts. Do you, do you have this same thing? Because I've talked to some other people, and it seems to be like a pretty common theme. Oh, yeah. Uh, for me, definitely, I'm thinking it was Newfound Glory's Resurrection, which uh, I did put in my top five, or it's our number seven, but uh, I had to rank it lower. Just It wasn't what I would consider to be, you know, in terms of technicality, like the best album, but I think it was probably my personal favorite. I mean, it just came out in uh, early October, and I've already listened to it more than probably anything else put out this year combined. So what was it that made it your favorite? It just sounded like a newfound glory album. Like the last few they put out, they were they were good, but there was just something slightly off. I don't know. I'm not. I don't really know how to describe that. But this felt like uh, 
they were back in their element, like they were really uh, burning to put something new out. And it reminded me of, uh, when I, every time I listen to it, and it still does, it reminds me of the first time I heard New Found Glory like 14 years ago. And just like the energy and passion in it is what I fell in love with them uh, in the first place for. And I heard that again on this new one. Yeah. So that's, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say this as well, that I'm, I fe- I'm feeling more and more validated. Because at first, when I started wrestling with this, I was thinking, am I crazy? Is there something wrong with me? And it seems like a lot of people have this uh, same experience. And the other example I'll give, another, maybe my second favorite album of the year was Taylor Swift's 1989. And uh, I'm I'm unashamed. I've I've shouted it from the rooftops how much I love this album. We could never like rank that in our top ten on it's all dead because it just it wouldn't work. People wouldn't buy it like that. That couldn't be a thing. But I love this album, and I wasn't a Taylor Swift fan before. Just full disclosure, um, you know, a lot of you listen to this podcast have never talked with me about Taylor Swift. Um, I I was uh, a, uh, one of her biggest attractors actually, um, and this album totally won me over. And I put it on and I feel good. Like I feel happy. It lifts me <laughs> up. Like it, it makes me feel good. It's like it does like everything that a really good pop album should do. It does that. And I love that about it. Um, Architects, Lost Forever, Lost Together is like soul crushing in its content. Like you listen to it and just want to like curl up on the floor and weep. And there's a really great thing about that. But that's not what I want to do every single day. I mean, Maybe I do, but I don't want to do that every single day. So I need something like 1989 that gives me this other side of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's that's kind of an, another part of the whole like best versus favorite thing. I find that a lot of my favorite albums tend to be more uplifting. Like I, I struggle with, uh, you know, being in a good mood all the time anyway. So like having things like that that I can kind of inject into my life and my psyche, I find beneficial, you know, anyway. I don't know, but... That's part mm. of it as well for me. So, yeah. <laughs> so what were some of our other favorite things of 2014? One one thing that uh, we did, and I think we talked about it on the podcast or referenced it, uh, Kyle and I attended Riot Fest together in Chicago this year, um, which we wrote about extensively. I, I think it might have been one of the best festivals or events of the year. So um, I know that was one of your favorite things. Talk, talk a little bit or just kind of give us a quick overview of what made uh, Riot Fest so special in 2014. Um, it was just, it's a fun festival. It's something that brings together, like, every uh, generation of musician, pretty much. Yeah. Like, we were there watching, uh, was The Cure playing this year? I might be mixing that up with last year. Yeah, they were here. They were there. Okay. Yeah, it was, like, The Cure and New Find Glory playing, Weezer topped it off, and, uh, shit, I'm trying to remember who else was there. Either way, it's just... It's generations of musicians playing on stages around the ground, so you can just walk around and hear something from a variety of uh, different decades. And just there's such a variety of people there. Like, you don't feel uh, overwhelmed by kids like you would at Warped Tour, where Mm. uh, it's almost unnerving about how many, like, 16-year-olds there are just walking around. Right Fest is nice because it's just you have, like, grandparents there, like, (laughs) going to see their uh, old favorites and stuff like that. And it's something where you can just jump from genre where you can just uh, go into like, you know, hardcore and then pop out and find something uh, smoother just around the corner. Yeah, I agree with you. And now everybody knows how old we are. Those damn kids. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
but no, yeah, like I, I get what you're saying. And the, the thing about Riot Fest for me this year was that that lineup was just insane. It was insane because on Saturday, I literally stood at the same stage all afternoon. I saw uh, Sayosin, Say Anything, uh, Dashboard, The Used, Taking Back Sunday. Like I, I saw all of those bands without ever having to move somewhere. Like I missed, the, but I also missed Wu-Tang Clan. I missed The National. Like, like the lineup was just so stacked. Like you just had to make like really important decisions, like soul-searching decisions about where you were going to be because there was no like – well, I don't have anything to watch right now. Like it was constantly, there was somebody to see. And that was really awesome. Um, the only bad thing about it was that the weather um, that created a, a total mess because of the setup, um, which, you know, hopefully they'll work on that and maybe rectify that next year. But uh, I had to, uh, a tough time getting around. <laughs> Let's just put it that yeah. way. Um, yeah. Oh, one of the things about that that really caught me off guard was um, it became very apparent that modern baseball is, jumping to the forefront of the pop punk scene yeah um because right around the corners from the big stages there are the smaller ones where they have smaller indie bands and stuff like that and uh all weekend it was just you know you have a small crowd maybe a couple dozen people watching on these stages and uh i forget who we were going to see at one of the largest stages and we were moving to another one and at one of these small indie stages just back in the corner there was a sea of people and it was a uh, modern baseball playing, and they had the same crowd as the one we just walked away from. Yeah. And it blew my mind because I'm aware of them, but uh, I have never really put the time in to listen to them. And walking out and seeing that just it honestly caught me off guard because I didn't expect them to have that big of a following. Yeah, they really blew up this year. Um, I know Grantland had a big piece on them. I mean, they they. Uh for some reason they almost jumped to the forefront of the whole, like for people that don't listen to, you know, this kind of music or whatever, they were like what made everybody go like, Oh, like pop punk is back, you know, even though it never really left or whatever that they, they yeah. became the face <laughs> of like that movement for like the mainstream of like people taking notice, which I think was uh, really huge for them um, and really expanded their audience. So, but yeah, I, I, uh, I took note of that as well. Um, one thing, I, I, another thing I wanted to mention about one of my favorite things from this year, and this is something that we, we kind of touched on at the site this year, but I didn't go into as much detail as I wish that I would have. I just, the time was never right to, to lay all this out. But, uh, this year was the final year for Anne Berlin. Uh, they announced early on that they would be doing a farewell tour, putting out a final album and then calling it quits. And, uh, Anne Berlin is one of my top five favorite bands of all time. Um, and uh, this year I was able to see them for the eighth and final time, which was an incredible experience. Um, and uh, I, their album, Lowborn, was one of my favorites. I, we didn't put it on the top ten list. I didn't think it was quite there. Um, but this this is a band that was huge in this scene. Um, they did not put out a bad album. I mean, I think from, from front to back, they have one of the best catalogs of any band in the scene. They just didn't really put out a dud. Um, they had a you know big crossover success with Feel Good Drag, a, a big single for them that got massive amount of radio airplay. They influenced a ton of bands, and they were one of the bands that I feel like they were almost like the Foo Fighters of this scene, like a band that like everybody respects as like doing it the right way and like mm -hmm. approaching the music honestly. And I think a lot of people really respected that. And I think it was so cool. Like you know last year, uh, my favorite band Under Oath, you know, announced their breakup and did a, a farewell tour. And they, you, they just handled it right. And Anne Berlin did the same thing this year. Like, it was just handled so well 
Like there was no fan that could walk away complaining. I mean, yeah, it sucks that they're gone, but you can't like force a band to stay if their time is done and they, and they need to move on. But to be able to give the fans what they gave this year, a full album, which was really great, um, a farewell tour, a run on warp tour. Um, they made it so that there was no way really to miss out on the experience. And I thought that was so cool. Um, and that's, that's my take on that. Um, I know we've talked about them a little bit. Do you, what are your feelings on Anne Berlin? Uh, I have never really listened to them, to be honest. <laughs> wow. Man, Kyle, you gotta, there, I, just, there... I just called them the Foo Fighters of the scene. You're, you, you need to go listen to them. I'm so sorry. They're on a, they're on a short list of groups I've never listened to. And, uh, I'm waiting to get a point in time. I can just kind of delve into them for a while. I can't wait for like a week from now when you're like, oh my god, this band is so good, because <laughs> it's gonna happen. Like I, I know you, Kyle. You're you are gonna like Anne Boleyn. I'm gonna like make a mix for you. Kyle and awesome. I, I didn't, traded didn't mix to CDs. Destroy our uh, friendship. <laughs> no, you didn't. Uh, Kyle and I make mix C- CDs for each other. Like that's that was a thing that uh, even as a couple years ago we were still doing, and nobody does that anymore. But there we were. It's a sign of a true friendship. <laughs> Um, <laughs> do you have some other things from 2014 in the album, songs, events, anything that uh, comes to the forefront of your mind that uh, we haven't discussed? Oh, shit. Um, no, not this second. Fair enough. Um, I, I did want to run through a couple more um, albums that we that we uh, did mention or, and have, or ones we did mention, ones we haven't mentioned. Um, Every Time I Die from Parts Unknown, I thought was a great album this year. Copeland, uh, another band that came back, like they they were gone, they were done. I mean, I I don't think anybody was expecting them to reunite, and then on April Fool's Day they announced they were back together and recording a new album. Nobody knew to take it seriously. Well, it was serious, and they put out a new album called Exora, and the, it was incredible. Um, Emma Rosa's album Verses, I thought was fantastic. Um, a couple we didn't talk about on the site, This Wild Life, uh, new band and acoustic duo, put out an album called Clouded, which was incredible. Um, and Merriment uh, was a really interesting band. Um, they are the younger siblings of the Isley uh, siblings uh, of, uh, you know, the Duprees that make up Isley. These are the, the younger siblings. You didn't know there was more. Well, there is. And they're in a band called Merriment. And they put out their debut. And it's really, really good uh, kind of indie folk rock um, I really enjoyed. Um, so that's something to check out. So, yeah. Um, so the last thing here um, that we'll touch on on this is at the top I had mentioned that uh, you know you had initially said there's a chance 2014 is better music wise than 2004. Did you find a landing place on that? Did you decide definitively that uh, 2014 was a better year for music than 2004? I th- I don't know really how to answer that because 2004 had a bunch of uh, it had a lot more landmark albums where they're there and they're going to be there forever. They're not going to um, – it's going to be the albums that you always remember. Right. And 2014, I think, has the artists much more uh, skilled. They're better songwriters, but I don't know if there's as many like benchmarks as there were. I think there's a lot of good stuff that came out, but I don't know um, how much of it we're going to be listening to 10 years from now. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, you know, one thing you mentioned, like you were talking about, like you were in high school in 2004, I was in early college. And that's a time where albums and music are really affecting you in a way 
like that, where you look back on those kind of defining moments, like 2004, Under Oath, Throwing Chasing Safety, My Chemical Romance, Six Years of Street Revenge. Like those are albums that like shaped me as a person, as I was like coming into like adulthood and figuring out who I was and all that stuff. Like those are albums that shaped that period of my life. Um, and so there's been a lot of great music this year, but it's, it's hard. It is hard to compare those two things. And I, I think that's something that doesn't get talked about maybe enough when we do all these comparisons and, and try to weigh things against one another is that like, you know, there were people our age now that or people that were our age right now, back in 2004, that maybe liked those albums, but they didn't affect them as much as albums when they were 10 years younger than that. You know what I mean? Like your age and yeah. what you're going through in your life, like definitely affects like the way something resonates with you. I feel. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. So there you go. What year was better? We don't know. And you don't either. Cause there's not really a good way to say it, but the point is All right, it, good discussion. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of really, uh, really great stuff that came out this year. And so, um, that is awesome. Um, Let's see here. Uh, coming up next month, we've got some really exciting stuff for the site, um, including our most anticipated things of 2015. And there's a lot of great albums to look forward to. I, I already know one thing that you and I haven't even discussed that I know is going to be in your top five. Or if it's not, I'm going to be shocked. Um, <laughs> and also, uh, you know, all the reunion tours that keep happening because all these albums that were so influential are turning 10 years old. There's a lot of great ones coming up in 2015. I, I was mentioning some just a little bit ago, Cartel's Chroma, uh, Paramore's All We Know Is Falling, although that one, there's no way Paramore's going on like a All We Know Is Falling tour or something. Like, that's yeah. that's not going to happen, although I wish it would. Like, if they played, like, small clubs and did, like, I don't know, 15, 10, 15 dates just playing that album, like, I would lose my mind. Um, but I don't think <laughs> that's going to happen. Uh, the Academy Is, Almost Here is one of my favorite albums. That turns 10. Uh, Armor for Sleeps, What to Do When You're Dead turns 10. Uh, I don't know. What are what are some you can think of from 2005? I, I feel like there's a pretty good amount, kind of like there was for 2004. Um, yeah. Um, let's see. I know Weezer's Make Believe is turning 10. Mm. Uh, let's see. There's several. Never. This scene yeah, had... There's... Oh, uh, Fallout Boy from Under the Cork Tree turns 10, right? Boo! I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's right, because you don't... You uh, you didn't like that. Not at the time, but I love them now. A lot it's of also, people uh, love that album. That was huge. That's, that's the album that made them, like, what they are today, I think. Oh, yeah. I, I could not get into it at the time, and it took me until, like, five or six years later to actually uh, enjoy it. Did you ever listen to Acceptance? Yes. Yes, I did. Well, Phantom's turns 10 years old next year and that's something that's been talked about like for a while like would that band do a reunion tour and their lead guitarist uh, became the lead guitarist of Ian Berlin so there's been talk of like well he's done like maybe they're going to do like a reunion tour which that would be one I would travel to see like wherever that tour takes place I, I would go to see that um, mm -hmm. Circa Survives debut Juturna turns 10 years old um Looking Motion City soundtracks commit this to memory. Yep, that's right. And they they have announced that they're doing a tour for that already, correct? I think. I oh saw shit! That. What a coincidence. Yeah. So that's that's <laughs> happening, um, and that is a that is a really really good album. What's your favorite Motion City soundtrack album? Uh, if I'm completely honest, it'd probably be 
uh, my dinosaur life, but I could also be talked into uh, even if it kills me. Okay. I don't know if I've ever heard somebody say My Dinosaur Life was their favorite. So that's that's it's a great album for sure. Um, Panic the Disco's A Phoebe You Can't Sweat Out uh, is turning 10. So that will be a big one. Of course, that, that band has changed so much. I mean, it's like Fall Out Boy and Paramore. Like they're just a completely different version of themselves. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, needless to say, there are a, uh, a lot of albums turning 10 next year. And that'll be fun. And we're going to talk about that as well in our uh, uh, most anticipated of the year stuff that we have coming podcast articles, keep an eye out at it's all dead. Um, so before we wrap up here, I do want to again, give a thank you to everybody out there that listened to our podcast, came to our website, read our articles, shared them with your friends, shared them on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, it means the world to us. We, we saw a lot of growth, like just a lot of amazing things happened um, with our website this year, uh, more than I, I ever expected would. And so we're looking forward to an even better year um, and we're excited to, to give you more stuff. So um, again, thank you for uh, supporting It's All Dead. So that will do it. Um, we hope you all have had a happy holidays and have a happy new year and happy new year to you, Kyle. Uh, you too, sir. And uh, we will be back in 2015 with more. Um, you've been listening to the official It's All Dead podcast. I'm Kyle Hawk. That's Kyle Schultz. And uh, we'll catch you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to the official It's All Dead podcast. You can download our podcast at iTunes and find exclusive music news and content at www.itsalldead.com. <laughs>